Are you ready for some more XFL? Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 31st episode. With the COVID-19 pandemic causing governments to dictate regulations regarding public gatherings, and considering the health and safety of XFL players, coaches, and staff, the XFL had no choice but to officially cancel the remainder of their 2020 season. To discuss the present situation and talk about the future, I have invited Tampa Bay Vipers team reporter Greg Parks to the podcast. Greg is a regular visitor to this podcast, and we always enjoy his football knowledge and his keen memory of players and their playing history. You could find Greg on Twitter, imparting his wisdom at Greg M. Parks and sharing fascinating spreadsheets of players and their statistics. Well, let's talk to Greg about the XFL. Are you ready? As usual, we won't waste any time. Let's get started. Well, I'd like to welcome Greg Parks back to the podcast. Now, Greg is a football fan and an XFLboard.com team reporter for the Tampa Bay Vipers. Now, Greg is a guy that follows football players, and he knows which players have been where, and he knows where they're going, or he tries to figure out where they're going, and we're going to talk about that today. Now, Greg is also a wrestling fan, and I'm not going to hold that against him. He's a, col- <laughs> he's a columnist at Pro Wrestling Torch, pwtorch.com, and you can check him out there if you're a wrestling fan. Welcome, Greg. Well, uh, thank you for having me, Mark, and I appreciate you not holding that against me. No, I would never hold that against you, actually. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, I'm just not a wrestling fan, but you know you know that. Not yeah, everybody. that's all right. I, hey, I, I'm never going to try and talk anyone into being a wrestling fan. It's, it's an acquired taste for sure. Oh, for sure, for sure. Now, you know, I have to admit, though, now, since we want to sidetrack, or you want to sidetrack in this, when I was young, I, I watched uh, wrestling in my hometown. They, there was a wrestling league we used to watch all the time, but I, it kind of wore off as I, yeah. uh, later on, I never followed the WWF or WWE, if, if that tells you anything. I, I think everybody had a phase that they followed at some point, you know, whether it's at the local level like you were, you know, with WWE or at the time, you know, when I was in high school, WCW was big, too. So I think most people had a phase, uh, some longer than others. Mine is still ongoing of where they were a fan. Many people just kind of it was a phase in their childhood or a phase in their uh, young adult life. And, and they moved on to other things. But I've for whatever reason, just not moved on. Yeah, and, and actually, now that you mention it, my understanding is that WWE is still producing shows, right? They are, yep. So if you're a wrestling fan, you're still watching live entertainment or fresh entertainment, I should say. It, it is. Um, it's a little different because they're, they're filming it in areas where there's no fans. So it's it takes a little getting used to. It's not exactly the same, uh, but they're you know trying to offer something. They're trying to be a diversion in these kind of crazy times we're finding ourselves in now. and you know, that's that's one thing that people it's like clockwork every Monday night for the last two decades. You've been able to tune in on watch Monday Night Raw every Monday. And they've been able to provide a little bit of normalcy in these times, which is appreciated. Well, all the power to them. Now, let's talk about the XFL, as we know, is suddenly uh, the week and a half ago, the XFL closed. And uh, I guess people were uh, disturbed by this, or but, but a lot of leagues closed. No, it's just a sad situation, isn't it? Yeah, it really is, and it's tough for a startup like the XFL. Um, you know, the NBA and, and 
other major league baseball putting off their season opening schedule, you know, they can afford to take this on. The teams are worth so much money and the brand is worth so much money. They can afford that. You wonder a league like the XFL, you know, they're missing out on um, ticket uh, revenue and things like that. So it, it hits the startups a little harder, but you know, you, you also have to think about the cost they're not incurring. You know, the, the cost of traveling to games and, and paying the uh, concession workers, although they may still be, be doing something for them, at least I hope. Um, but there are some travel expenses and some other expenses that the XFL does not have to pay for uh, by ending the season seven weeks early, counting the playoffs. So it, it is kind of a push-pull there as far as the monetary situation goes. But obviously, just for the credibility of the league, you'd like to be able to say, hey, we got through the first season. We'll be back for the second season, even though they've already said that, and give the fans a little bit of, you know, that belief. Because we've seen the AAF flame out after one season, not even one season. We saw the original XFL last one season. And I think there's just a lot of hesitancy from football fans, from potential fans of the XFL, who are kind of in a wait-and-see mode. And they'll say, you know, I don't want to invest my time and, you know, try to find a favorite team or or pay for tickets or pay for merchandise if this thing isn't going to last. So it would have been nice to get that one full season to be able to get some momentum and say, yes, we'll be back for the second season and get people excited about that. But, you know, the, the decision was out of their hands. It really it, it was really the only decision that could be made, as we saw with uh, what happened in the, in the ensuing days and weeks. So there, there really wasn't much of a decision to be made. It had to be done. This only happened a week and a half ago. And looking back now, it seems like it was the right decision and there was no choice. I know people had doubts about that at the time, but I don't know of anybody now that hasn't come around to realize that this is important that the XFL did this. Yeah, and when the NBA did it, uh, you know, that really put a lot of the pressure on the other leagues. They, they kind of had to. And then, you know, there was, like you said, there were a lot of people, a lot of XFL fans who, who did not want to uh close up shop for the season there were you know people posting on the forums at xfl board they were upset about the xfl's decision to end the season when they did um but you know a couple days later all of a sudden the seattle dragons uh player it's it's revealed um tested positive for covid19 and really after that there was no possible way that the league could have played uh they're, they're just they would have had to close up shop at that point anyway so you know and, and then with all the uh state governments and the restrictions that were put in place soon after that uh, eventually the decision would have been out of the league's hands anyway. Clearly that's exactly what, how this went when the XFL closed down, it was at mid season. Do you think the, the 2020 season of the XFL was showing the promise that the XFL wanted out of this first season? Yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways it did, you know, the quality of play on the field was I think better than some people expected. Um, the, the reception to the uh, innovations uh, that the league provided, whether it was um, on television or whether it was the actual gameplay, was received much more positively than I think even the uh, most optimistic XFL fan expected. Uh, the kickoff rules, the 
eye in the sky, quick replays, um, things like that. And, and many of the games, you know, I know Oliver Luck and the XFL Brain Trust wanted the games to be in, in under three hours. Most of them were. Most of them were in that 250, 255 range, I think, um, which is uh, what the league kind of was shooting for, maybe even a, um, a little longer than what they were shooting for. But, you know, I think uh, a lot of the gameplay was positive. Um the attendance in certain areas was positive. We unfortunately missed out on the St. Louis Battlehawks, potentially drawing 40,000 fans to their next home game, which I know is a disappointment for a lot of people, the league and, and the team itself. Um, and that would have been real, some real positive momentum. There were some signs in the ratings that things were, were good. Um, not dancing on the, the roof of uh, the XFL headquarters type of positive ratings news, but um, I think there was enough there to where you could, um, you know, you could make the argument that they're in pretty good shape as far as that goes heading into the second season in 2021. So absolutely, I think they made some great strides and um, I'm really looking forward to see what, if any, tweaks are made um to the gameplay, to the innovations as we head into 2021, because I think in some of his interviews that he's done, Oliver Luck has been pretty open to saying, you know, we're going to take a look at what we did and, and we'll adjust as we go um, sort of things. So I think the league seems to be open to, you know, if they think something worked really well or didn't work really well, maybe adjusting, maybe tweaking here and there as we head into season two. Yeah, that's actually an interesting thing to think about is which rule changes or which innovations will they change. Now, the one innovation that they may not change is the overtime rules because they never really got a chance to yeah. to run one live. I mean, in uh, the regular season, mind you, they practice the overtime. So they have a good idea of how it runs. The, the other one may be the point after, uh, the point after touchdown. And I think they're going to look at the stats for that and see what uh, and maybe adjust the yard line that where the one, two and three go from. Uh, would you think they might do that? It's possible. I don't really think it's necessary necessarily. Um, you know, they'll look at it. And I know a lot of the folks in the XFL front offices are, are big into the data and big into the analytics. And so they'll look at the percentages of you know how often teams went for it, how often they actually got it and, and things like that. Unfortunately, you only have a five week set of data, which is harder to make concrete decisions based on as opposed to 10 or 12 weeks, which is what we would have had had the season and been able to, to finish up. Um, nevertheless, I think they'll look at it. They'll get feedback from coaches and players, which I think is just as important as looking at the data itself and what it tells you. And, and they'll make a decision based on that. And I think it'll be in the best interest of the league. Yeah, those, that's a good idea. I, I like your ideas on that. Now, I wanted to point out that you recently wrote a column for XFL board and you broke down uh, the league's uh, performance based on four key aspects. And uh, if people want to read more about this, they should check out your column. It's on xflboard.com. Now, the other thing is the quality of play. What can we say about the quality of play with the XFL in this short season? Well, it's like I wrote in my column. Um, I, I think the, and I said this at the very beginning when the league was still getting their T's crossed and their I's dotted, you know, when it was first launched, I said, you know, the, the success or failure of this league in terms of quality of play is going to rely on not only quarterbacks, but on offensive line play, because you've got to keep the quarterbacks upright. Um, you've got to find holes in the running game because the XFL is about exciting play. And they, that is, whether we like it or not, a lot of offense. And um, we saw some success there. We saw some difficulty there this year. But I think quarterback play by and large was better than 
what people expected. You know, we had some real stars emerge in the quarterback position with P.J. Walker for Houston and Jordan Tamu for St. Louis. Uh, we had some players who did not play well, you know, um, but the thing is they were replaced as the season went on. So the players at the quarterback position who did not perform well and who contributed to some of the games not being as aesthetically pleasing were eventually replaced with better options, which is what happened in the first year of the XFL. You know, so um, I would expect uh, that it's kind of tough in one short offseason to figure out who your starting quarterback is going to be, who's going to give you the best chance to be successful on the field. And, you know, Luis Perez taking over from Matt McGloin was an upgrade. Uh, Taylor Cornelius ended up being an upgrade uh, by and large from Aaron Murray, uh, although we really saw Aaron Murray play one game. And, um, you know, so those are those are a couple examples of um, the teams making quarterback switches for the better, helping not only the performance of the team, but also helping um, the offenses in, in the league. And then offensive line play was really sneaky good. Um you know, when you have an offensive line, it's a unique position because more than any other position on the field, the offensive line needs time to gel as a group. And it has five players and you're not playing individually. You're playing as a group of five. And with the short offseason that the XFL had with no prior history of most of these guys playing together, uh, they're kind of thrown into the fire here. And what happens when you see uh, poor offensive line play, you see a lot of penalties, you see a lot of quarterback sacks, things like that. We just didn't see that this year. I was happy to see the, the lack of penalties on the offensive line. You had some here and there, but it was not to the detriment, I don't think, of the gameplay quarterbacks were, were not sacked at nearly the level I expected going in. And then you add on to that the pressure of having the offensive line now dealing with a 25-second play clock, which was unfamiliar to a lot of these players, and asking them to speed up the game. Um, these are guys who are not always the, the lightest on their feet, you know, to, so they can wear down. And what happens when you wear down during a game? You hold, you, you know, false start, you, you do all these, make these mental errors, these pre-snap errors. And we didn't see that in bulk the way I thought we would. So I thought the offensive line play was better than I expected. Quarterback play was about average, but I thought um, things were improving as the year went on. And week six through 10, I thought might've been the strongest or had the potential to be the strongest performing weeks of the quarterbacks. Uh, Josh Johnson was really starting to come into his own in L.A. You know, Dallas still needed to figure some things out with Philip Nelson. I don't think they were going to be able to run the same offense under Philip Nelson that they wanted to run under Landry Jones, as long as Jones was out for another few weeks with another injury. Uh, so I, I thought that uh, the quarterback position as a whole throughout the league really had some momentum in terms of quality of play when, uh, when we ended, ended up having to stop. You know, I remember you telling me in this yeah. podcast that the O-lines were the most important aspect for the XFL's success. And I think you're right. I think they that turned out to be very important, didn't it? Now, uh, with Matt McGloin in New York, I really don't think he got a fair shake. I think that that team was not prepared. And he ended up, it caused him to uh, have stress and of course yeah. he, he did he did show his stress on the field that was true yeah. and that was all on him but i think he was in a no-win situation in those those games where uh where they got blow, blown out at the first game he looked good i mean you got to remember against tampa bay he led the team to a victory looked like a solid starting option and then for another game and a half he looked not so good and you do wonder how much of that was mcgloin himself in terms of his on-field performance how much of it was him putting that weight on his shoulders of the team, not playing as well as it could be, how much of it was behind the scenes stuff that we're not privy to uh, in the locker room. I know when I was reading the quotes about Luis Perez being named starter and I think being yeah. named a captain, 
There were some kind of, and I don't know if this was done purposely, and I, I don't remember the quotes if they were from Coach Kevin Gilbride or some of the players, but talking about the leadership of Luis Perez, and, and we caught the, the sideline conversation that Coach Gilbride was having with one of the players saying, I think it was Mikhail McKay saying, hey, I might need you to step into a leadership role. Some of the leaders on this team, yeah. um, I, I'm, you know, they're, they're not what I thought they would be. And naturally, you think of Matt Blagoyne, possibly even Ian Silverman, who uh, is their center and seemed to get into a fight every game um, so that he could have been talking about him, too, or, or somebody else. But it was hard not to read those quotes of the players and coach talking about Luis Perez and read into you know them complimenting Perez with what McGloin was lacking. You know, it, it, they didn't come out and say it, but if you kind of read between the lines, you got that feeling, which, you know, I, I'm sure was not the healthiest of locker rooms to have and, and things like that. So, yeah, we don't we don't really know what goes on behind closed doors, but I think you can make the argument that McGloin may have deserved a longer leash than he got. Yeah, there's so much that you can read into the, into some of that. You know, being privy to some of the conversations is actually kind of cool. Uh, like the Gilbride moment where he told McKay and the Perez moment where he spoke to the squad before they went on the field and he attempting to rally them. You know, those type of moments are, are really great. And I really love the XFL for those type of things. I, I mean, uh, of course, the NFL has those type of moments, too. But the XFL surely packed each game with those moments, which I love. Yeah, and that was a key part of the broadcast. You know, in the NFL, it's almost a little seasoning that comes along with the with the broadcast, getting to hear that stuff. But in the XFL broadcast, that was a key part of it. And we saw the both the networks, whether it was Fox or ABC slash ESPN, they sort of you, you saw them finding out what worked and what didn't as the season went along. And I think if you looked at the first week's broadcast versus the fifth week's broadcast, you saw quite a bit of a difference of how often they use the live audio, how often they talk to the coaches and and, you know, Things like that, the performance of the sideline reporters, how often they tried to pull players and talk to them. I think it was, uh, and I haven't you know, watched them back-to-back or anything like that, but just thinking back on it, you saw a little bit of trial and error, and you saw them adjust as the season went on. And um, I don't think they, by the end, by week five, I don't think they relied as heavily on that stuff uh, as they did in week one. Yeah, they certainly did adjust. And, uh, you know, it was fun to watch them week to week. And I watched every game. Uh, and I wish I was watching games right now. As a matter of fact, yeah. you reported on the Tampa Bay Vipers and you followed the Vipers from inception all the way to the end of game five. Mm-hmm. Now, were the Tampa Bay Vipers on the rise? Would they have made the playoffs? You know, I, I don't think they would have made the playoffs. It just it was a deep hole that they would have had to dig out of. It wasn't wouldn't be impossible, but it just would have been very difficult. Um, they didn't have a lot of luck on their side this season. So <laughs> it would have been tough to predict that happening in week six through 10 enough to where they would get into one of those playoff spots. But I do think they were a team on the rise. I, I it, This is kind of cliche, but I don't think they were as bad as their record suggested they were. They they did have some bad luck, um, some injuries to Nick Truesdell, who was their number one uh, pick in the skill position portion of the draft. They had the injury to Aaron Murray and the ineffectiveness when he was in there. Uh, Taylor Cornelius played well at times, struggled at other times. They were neck and neck with LA in the last game of the year that they played, which was uh, probably the most exciting game of the year 
potentially anyway, depending on your, your view of things, but it's in the conversation for the most exciting game of the year. And they just couldn't lock it down. And it felt like, you know, they had a 17 point lead at one point and they just couldn't close it out. So I think they were a team on the rise. I think their defense played well at times. I think their offense showed real signs of life, although the loss of Jaquez Patrick, their number two running back, that's really when the downslide started against LA. They just didn't have, uh, they, they tried to rely a little too heavily on Devion Smith, who was their number one running back, and he was most effective when he split carries with Patrick. Yeah, I, I think the problem with them was consistency, offensively and defensively. You know, when the defense played well, the offense didn't seem to be able to score. When the offense played well, the defense couldn't stop the other team. So if they could get on the same page for the last five weeks of the year and play with more consistency, I think they would have been a threat for a playoff position. But again, they, they dug themselves such a deep hole in the first half of the season. I still think it would have been difficult to dig out of. Yeah. It seemed like they had uh, run out of opportunities to uh, go ahead of the other, the other teams in the Eastern division. Uh, and based on their season record against them already being dismal, uh, it would have been hard for them to uh, make a playoff spot, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's the great thing about the XFL, though, is with the the bonus, the $100,000 bonus for the winning teams, it makes those week eight, nine and 10 games for teams that are out of playoff contention still important. You know, there's no tanking. There's none of that kind of stuff. They're still playing for that win bonus. So I think that's that's a positive that the league has put into place and was actually taken from the original XFL. Yeah. So there's still money on the table. They're going to play to win, right? Yeah. I never thought about that. That's a good point. So you don't think Tampa would have been in, in the playoffs in the East anyways. Now, uh, who do you think would have, how, how would the remainder of the season gone, would have gone, in your opinion? <laughs> who would have made the playoffs and who would have won? Oh, gosh. Um, well, Houston, obviously, in, in the West. Um, and then you're really talking about Dallas or L.A. probably. Although Seattle is only a game behind. So they were in talks too, and and you know there's another quarterback switch that seemed to do well. B.J. Daniels uh, in for Brandon Silvers that seemed to improve Seattle's offense. Uh, I don't like Dallas's chances with Philip Nelson. You know I think L.A. might have had the leg up on Dallas there. So I'd go Houston and L.A. in the West. In the East, yeah, we had a three-way tie for first, and then Tampa Bay. You know Tampa Bay was two games behind when the season ended, with only five games left. That's what made, would have made it so difficult. Although they did have some games remaining against the teams ahead of them. Uh, St. Louis, I, I'd like the look of them. And then you got really between New York and D.C. And and that's the problem with, you know, analyzing a five game season is every team had their highs and every team had their lows. And there just was not enough time to really establish a consistency or establish an identity. And because this is the first season these teams have played, you don't have past seasons to rely on for identities. You know, when we're talking about the NFL, you know what the New England Patriots identity is. Right. You know what some of these other teams identities are right new orleans saints you know what they're going to be you know what they're about with these teams it's really hard to say so i don't have a real strong feeling of dc or new york i guess if i had to choose i don't know what dc was going to do with their quarterback spot they really protected tyree jackson in that last game they played and that's not a winning formula that was not the way that they were going to have to win games going forward now you know, were they just giving Cardell a break, kind of clearing his mind and then planning to start him in week six? I don't know. But if that's the case, I'll take Luis Perez in New York over uh, Tyree Jackson if that's the way they were going to handle them. So let's say St. Louis in New York, just for argument's sake. Let's say St. Louis in New York in the East. And then who plays in the final of the championship then? Again, I think I, I, think, I, I think I know what you're going to say. I would like to see I would like to see Houston and St. Louis. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, the, the championship game was going to be in Houston. I think with St. Louis's fan base, I think there was potential for them to be a very good traveling fan base and to really make it to Houston for that game which yeah. would create a really cool atmosphere. And I also think you got the two best quarterbacks in the league in Te'amu and uh, Walker in Houston. So for the for those reasons, I think it would have been the most intriguing matchup. I, I would I would have liked to have seen the season play out, if only to see if someone could knock Houston off that perch. What would it take to beat Houston? What would it take? We saw some teams come close. You know, Houston was not invincible by any That's means. Right, they, yeah. they played some close games. Um, so I, I would have liked to have seen what team would have been the one to ultimately take down the Roughneck. Houston had a lot of weapons, and you talked about every team had highs and lows. Well, they didn't. They, they were the only team that <laughs> the, just had highs. Their lows may have lasted about a quarter, and that's it. <laughs> right, but there was a whole second half of the season. Yep. And, of course, we'll never know, and we'll, uh, an injury might have changed the the course of the season as well. So we'll never know. And uh, of course, injuries are never fun, but that that happens in football. But we'll never know. And uh, I'm certainly hope that Houston isn't going to walk away and produce their own championship trophy like the Apollos, uh, <laughs> Orlando Apollos did, because they were ahead. But you know, I wouldn't say they 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 still have to earn that championship. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, sure. I mean, the XFL could decide. Well, it's pretty clear. You know, the Roughnecks have the best record. Um, Therefore, if in a truncated season like this, they may decide to say, well, by virtue of having the best record, the Roughnecks are the, the league champions. I don't know if they would do that or what, but yeah, I mean, it's it's possible. If the if it gets the XFL's blessing, I guess why not let the Roughnecks celebrate? Sure, I guess so. I guess you're right. I know there's still fans out there that are still hoping for some sort of a playoff or a championship game. And I guess there's a possibility that could happen. I don't know how it would happen or when it would happen. And frankly, I think it would take a miracle for that to happen. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you also have to take into account the fact that while it hasn't happened yet, and while there are reports of, you know, some negotiations going on as far as letting XFL players out of their contract to sign NFL teams. I mean, you don't want a, a championship game taking place between two teams who've lost, you know, a half dozen players each to the NFL. Yeah. You know, um, so that because that's not a championship game. That's just a game to be played because you're not featuring the best players. So it's not a true championship game. You know, if they were to suffer an injury or something else, that would be different. But if that were the, the case where NFL teams are going to start signing XFL players before, you know, the the original end of the XFL season, I think it would be difficult to have any kind of playoffs or championship game. Yeah, I, I agree. There's that that whole aspect as well is, of course, can you get the teams to come back, uh, let's say it's a month from now, could you get the teams to actually come back, uh, get them together and play a game? And, you know, would they still be, I mean, playing form? Uh, a lot of questions there. Now, I know you track players. Uh, so which players can you see landing in the NFL? Well, I mean, the obvious two picks are P.J. Walker and Cam Phillips for Houston. You know, I, I think that it's going to depend on scheme fits in the NFL. It's going to depend on um, size because a lot of the guys in the XFL uh, were either too small to make a dent in the NFL or, you know, too, uh, too big, but um, too slow. Um, so they all had their warts and that's why they were in the XFL and not in the NFL. So it's going to take uh, teams kind of being open-minded and not just pulling players and signing them just for camp bodies. 
some teams will have more opportunities because they have more holes on their roster to fill. So they may have a more of an opportunity for, say, you know, let's take Nick Holly, for example, in Houston. He was a, a really fun underdog story that the league and the broadcast played up all year in Houston. He's kind of a running back slash wide receiver, too small for wide receiver, uh, maybe not capable of handing, handling the workload to be a full-time running back. He's had uh, serious injury issues in the past. So is he a guy that the the NFL teams are going to look at? The production was there this year, but is that size, is that injury history going to be held against him to the point where he doesn't get an opportunity? You know, it's going to be interesting. When the original XFL was around, that's one of the things that I really was intrigued by. And you had a lot of guys who, you know, made their names in in the NFL after the XFL had kind of closed up shop. Uh, One of my favorite stories is Brian Mormon the punter for the Buffalo Bills who punted there for almost a decade, I think, um, out of Pittsburgh State. And he was actually cut by the Los Angeles Extreme in training camp. He didn't even make it out of camp with the Extreme and yet hung on to a job in the NFL for so long. So sometimes it can be the guys you least expect, uh, the ones who don't maybe have eye-popping stats, but if there was a scout in attendance for a team and they liked what they saw uh, live or they liked what they saw on tape, uh, they may get an opportunity. So it really all depends on the needs, the schemes of the NFL teams, what they're looking for, and whether or not they're going to give these guys a serious opportunity or whether they're just going to bring them in to fill out a minicamp roster. So from what you're saying, we're going to see some XFL players land in the NFL, and most of the ones that end up doing it will be a complete surprise to us. I don't know if most is the right answer, but um, I think we'll be surprised. There'll be some guys that get signed, we say, hmm, and we'll go back and look at their stats, and they won't be eye-popping. And yeah. you'll you'll wonder, I wonder what they see in this guy. And it, it's sort of the reverse, too, because before the season started, I, I put together that um, the spreadsheet, the Microsoft Excel spreadsheet that I tweeted out uh, at, at Greg M. Parks, tracking uh, draftable players, XFL, uh, things like that. I, I'm working on another one right now that's a little different, and um, I'll be sure to tweet that out when I'm done with it. But all of a sudden, with all this time on my hands, I figured I'd, I'd put myself to work. So one of the interesting <laughs> things that I, I'm seeing as I go through this project is the guys who were drafted by XFL teams but were signed by NFL teams during the NFL season, either to practice squads or whatever. And it's funny because you see some of these guys that were signed by NFL teams, and they're like, uh, this guy was um, a phase five pick in the XFL draft. And you're like, how did he how did he last until the open phase of the XFL draft, yet the NFL thinks he's good enough to be put on their practice squad? So there was a lot of that going on where it was kind of, you just kind of cocked your head to the side and went, hmm. So I'm sure that same thing is going to happen in reverse uh, when the NFL signs players uh, out of the XFL after the season. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. And of course, someone like you is going to enjoy watching all these movements and uh, and tracking back on, on where they were. Well, at least you'll have a fun XFL offseason in that respect. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Now, Sometimes you now, have to make your own fun, Mark. Yeah. Well, I'm, you're, you're such a great guy at making your own fun, tracking players. I mean, wow. I'm impressed. I'm always impressed. Someone, someone, call, someone, someone call it obsessive. Others would call it fun. So I appreciate you calling it fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's a good point. Now, what about coaches? Now, how many of those coaches will be back for next season? Well, that's hard to say. I, I mean, head coaches, you know, unless they get an opportunity somewhere else, I, I see most of them back. Um, there, there really aren't a lot of opportunities at this point. You know, the NFL has filled out their coaching staff. Most college football teams have filled out their coaching staffs. So 
you know, you, you have a lot of coaches who are older, like Ted Cottrell, defensive coordinator in Houston. Some of the head coaches like Jim Zorn, who'd been out of the game for a while. Um, there's They're not likely to get another opportunity somewhere else that's a better opportunity than this. So I, I don't see a lot of coaching movement unless coaches decide either, you know, the coaches who came from the CFL decide to go back there uh, or decide to retire or something like that. I, I see a lot of them back. I think most of them seem to enjoy this opportunity. It was not you know, the full-time grind that college football can be in terms of coaching. It was not the full-time grind that the NFL can be in terms of coaching. So it kind of allows you to have a life uh, while also still being involved at the professional level. Um, so I, I don't see a lot of movement in, in terms of coaching staffs unless they are uh, the, the, at the discretion of the head coach where they really want to make some changes on staff. I, I kind of agree with you. Now, one of the coaches uh... – I'm interested to, to I wonder whether he will be back as Mark Tressman. Although I get the funny feeling that he's not done yet. Like he's he, in his mind, he's like, I still have work to do here. Yeah, I, I'm hoping for that. I mean, there were some times where you watched the press conferences. He was a little beaten down, a little worn down. Um, uh, you know, rumors of unrest in the locker room. And, and ultimately, it's up to the, uh, you know, Oliver Luck. I think he, the buck kind of stops with him when it comes to head coaches. He's not a knee-jerk reaction guy. You know, we've seen in the NFL some one-and-dones with head coaches. Oliver Luck doesn't strike me that way. I mean, if these coaches want to continue, I think they're in a position to do so. You know, one-and-four record is not great, but it's a lot different than, say, one-and-nine if we're sitting here at the end of the season and they, they ended up with one win. And, you know, then maybe kind of force Luck's hand or if things in the locker room deteriorated to the point where he needed to make a move after one season, then okay. But because we only got through half a season, one and four, I mean, it's not great, but you know, there was enough positives I think to take out of that team where I don't think he would be in danger of, of losing his job again, unless it was his choice. I sort of agree. You know, and the other one is Zorn. You wonder whether he'll be back, but I think for sure he'll be back because he's a Seattle guy. He lives in Seattle. Yeah. And um, I'm sure he sees another year of coaching the Dragons and maybe improving on some things. He probably recognizes a whole uh, a whole pack of things that he'd like to improve upon. So he'll be back in in the next year to try to um, uh, incorporate some of these things. That's that's the way I see he would be thinking. And I hope that all the coaches return, if not for the optics of it. Uh, you know, the the AAF took a hit before the season even started when they had some coaches leave, um, and it didn't look good for the league. It was not good, you know, for a league that's trying to find its footing and, and to be seen as professional and to be seen as legitimate. And so um, I think the the unsaid message to the fans and to the, you know, sports world at large, if all eight of these coaches return next year, it's that they all they've all been in the trenches. They've all seen the behind the scenes and they're on board. They're with it. Nobody wants to jump ship. Nobody's saying, geez, you know, this is I'm a little uneasy about the future of this league, so I'm going to get out while I can. If all eight come back, I mean, I think that's a good sign that they all believe in the future of this league and, you know, how many years that, that it will have in its life moving forward. I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. I'm looking forward to next season. And in fact, I'm looking forward to see all these coaches back or the most of them back. It will help the league bring consistency to the year two if these coaches come back. Yeah, and, and consistency is so key for a league like this. It's just, and we talk about it all the time. For a league that's just starting out, you need that consistency. I mean, you know, we've heard of quarterbacks in the NFL going through like five offensive coordinators in five years, and how it affects their performance. And um, for a league where you're getting a lot of players playing together for the first time, 
that consistency of the coaching staffs is only going to help the quality of play in the second year. Now that you've got an entire second off season to work in the same system, you know, you've, you've been in the trenches, you've played actual games together as a team, although we don't know how many players will be back next year for each team. Uh, you have to anticipate a handful at least. Uh, so that should improve the quality of play from year one to year two as well. Yeah, looking forward to that. Now, there's another thing that's being talked about right now is about expansion, uh, league, league expansion. And, of course, I have no opinion whether the league will expand or not. I know there's people that think it should. And I wonder if they will have time to expand with this, uh, with the situation right now with the COVID virus. So hypothetically, Greg, if there was expansion for the next season, where would you like to see the XFL go to? Uh, I hate to even speculate on it because I'm so I'm so against the idea of it even being a conversation. I, I just think it's so even before the COVID-19 virus hit, I just think it was so outside the realm of, of possibility that the people were kind of and I know it's a fun topic, but it. You know, for people to be kind of demanding expansion after year one, I think, is not seeing the forest for the trees. Uh, but I'll play along just because because you're a good guy, Mark, and I'll, I'll play along well, with this. Well, hang on. I'll, you don't have to. If, if, <laughs> no, that is your, if that is your opinion that the XFL <laughs> should not expand, that's that's valid. Well, OK, let's say for future years. OK, let's let's look into the crystal ball and say maybe four years from now, three years from now, they decide that they're. They've got the big TV deal that's paying them hundreds of millions of dollars a year. They're making good money off ticket sales. They're making good money off of merchandise. They're able to. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) They're able to expand and and maybe two more teams. So we're up to 10. I I think, you know, you've got the two teams in Texas. I, I just think back to 2001 with San Francisco and how big of a draw that team was. Uh, you know, drawing 30 plus thousand a uh, game and really pacing the attendance for the XFL. So I think that's kind of an interesting place and to a, go. A big TV market, too. That whole big, big TV area. market. Yeah. And the other thing I want to look at, too, is stadiums that are of middle size stadiums. I don't want to go to a place that only has an NFL size stadium. You know, New York, Tampa Bay. And uh, what was the other one? Was it L.A.? L.A.'s was kind of it wasn't the same size, but you had some teams this year who were just I mean, it it was not a good idea to go into those large stadiums. I think you want to have a medium sized stadium where you can draw maybe 35 to 40,000. I don't think playing in these 70, 80,000 state seat stadiums is doing yourself any favors. The atmosphere isn't the same. The way it comes across on TV isn't the same. So I want to go to a place where you can find that as well. And I guess the league has to determine, you know, does it want to continue building fan bases in in NFL cities? Does it want to do more of what they did with St. Louis, which was tremendously successful, where they would go to a, a city that does not have an NFL team and try to build there? I, I don't know. I you know the the thought that keeps coming into my head is Philadelphia, and I don't know what their stadium situation is, but I know that's a rabid fan base in the Northeast, another top television market. You know, so I, I guess that's a possibility. I don't know how many cold weather places they want to go right off the bat because that can kind of wreak havoc on the scheduling and and sometimes the aesthetics of of the thing. So Philadelphia is another one that comes into my mind. But you know, there are a lot. I, I mean, there, there's a checklist of things you'd have to want to check off. 
to to make sure you're going to the right place. And I know when they established these cities, the XFL did a lot of market research and they really sort of tested out and heard feedback from people in these cities about which cities were the hungriest for football, which had the most diehard football fans. And I think that seems to be where they tried to put these teams. Probably no coincidence then they were in a lot of NFL markets, but you know, I'm sure they will do similar testing when they want to create expansion teams. You know, what cities will support from a fan base, from a local point of view, uh, what cities will support a NXFL franchise, whether that's 20,000 a game or whatever their aim is, uh, while also having a, a major market that can draw TV ratings and help that out. So uh, there's just a lot of, uh, there's a checklist, like I said, of, of things you would be looking for when you're going into a new city. And um, some some cities will be able to check off all those boxes. I sort of wonder whether the XFL would consider going back to Alabama and teasing them with another football team because their story in like in Birmingham, for example, they they have all these leagues that come in and then and then fold. And of course, the AAF did the same thing with the Birmingham Iron. I wonder if the XFL would would consider going back in there or would that be maybe it's not the market they want. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not. You know, I'm not really familiar with how well the AAF supported Birmingham. I know it was not one of the top cities attendance-wise in the no, original. No, it, it, it wasn't, yeah. Yeah, so there's probably not a burning desire to go in there at this point. But again, you know, this the brain trust will, you know, put all of this information that they have into a computer and it'll spit out what, what cities they should go in based on the results. And I trust that they'll make the right decisions. I trust that they'll that they'll put a lot of thought into it. And that's... You know, that's the one thing I can say about this version of the XFL is the people at the top making decisions, whether it's Oliver Luck, whether it's Jeffrey Pollock, you know, from a gameplay standpoint, whether it's Sam Schwartzstein, you know that they're taking their time and they're being thoughtful about this. They're making decisions with the long term in mind. If you know anything about Vince McMahon, that's not always the way he operates. He operates from emotions a lot of times to his own detriment for the long term. And there's not always a lot of long term planning with him. That's the positive of having these particular players in place at the top of the league and even trickling down to each team president um, of each uh, city's team. I have a lot of faith that the decisions they make from gameplay innovations to expansion to anything else that under the sun, that they're going to make the right decision based on a careful review of the situation and with a long term in mind. You know what? I totally agree with you. In fact, that's that's one of the reasons why I don't think expansion will happen this year, uh, especially with the uh, the weird off season. I mean, they're probably they're having would have difficulties the meetings they would have to have, and but you never know. They they may have something in their back pocket they haven't told us, which could very well be as well. Now that there's no football on TV, absolutely no football on TV. What is your favorite football movie? Wow, I would. Uh... I'm I'm a fan of Remember the Titans. I love Denzel Washington. So that's the that's the movie that comes immediately to my mind. You know, I will throw this out there. Junction Boys, which was an ESPN original film, was really good. I think it was so early 2000s, maybe. It was a story of Bear Bryant with uh, the Texas A&M football team. And Tom Berenger starred as as Bear Bryant. That was a movie that I really liked when I saw it on TV, kind of under under the radar, not a theatrical release or anything like that. I want to give a shout out to that movie. But remember, the Titans always comes into my mind uh, when we're talking football movies. All right. So remember the Titans for sure. Um, If you haven't seen it, then people should go out and watch it. 
And Junction Boys, which I've never heard of, but I'm going to check it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I don't know if it's on DVD. I don't know if it's on, you know, any of the ESPN streaming platforms or if they I, I don't know what the status of it is. But I remember it was an ESPN original movie back when that sort of thing was like, wow, you know, now they put out 30 for 30s all the time. But, yeah, it was uh, it was entertaining. I liked it. It was um, uh, 2000. um 2002. So yeah, I had it right. Early 2000s. Did you just Google it? or? I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, of course. What else would you do? <laughs> it's not yeah, like you go to, block, go to Blockbuster Video and ask some kid what the uh, if, whether they had it in stock. Of course, you wouldn't do that anymore. No, you you can't. Well, you can't do won't do that anymore. Not only because there's no blockbuster, but you don't want to go out and even rent a movie these days. <laughs> you don't. Want, oh. So anything you can do from the comfort of your own home at this point is is a net positive. I find you can find most movies online one way or the other. In fact, I've actually found some on YouTube just sitting there. You just yeah. There and watch them. But you never know uh, what Absolutely. you can find unless you look for it. So uh, that was Junction Boys. Now, thank you, Greg. I would like to. Uh, I appreciate you coming out to the podcast and uh, and we're having a nice chat about the XFL. Sure. I mean, in this uh, era where there's no sports anywhere going on, it is nice to just sit down and, and talk sports for an hour. So um, really enjoyed talking to you, Mark. And, and thanks for the questions about the XFL. Yeah, thanks. So uh, people can follow you online at Greg M. Parks, right? On That's Twitter. correct. All right. Thank you, Greg. Well, have a good evening. Thanks. You too. Thanks again to my guest, Greg Parks. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. You are welcome to come back next time, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. Mm-hmm.